Hello and welcome to Your Magic. We are in the midst of a special round of episodes featuring interviews with parents, abortion rights activists, and one very special sperm donor, all to celebrate the publication of my latest book, Knocking Myself Up. It's about how I started to try to get pregnant at age 40 with no partner or healthcare. High jinks abound. Look for it wherever you get your books. Today, I'll be talking to poet, performer, and mom, Jade Phoenix. We're going to talk about surviving evangelicism, queerness, spoken word as bearing witness, and how kids are naturally psychedelic. And also, if you want to help support making this podcast, check out patreon.com backslash thisisyourmagic, where you can get all sorts of perks. A monthly tarot reading based on your zodiac in the phases of the moon. Tarot workshops where we dive deep into a single card, that sort of thing. We make this podcast as a labor of love and appreciate all of you for supporting us. And if you're looking to front like the witch you are, let your magic merchandise help you. We've got incredible new elemental t-shirts, plus a bunch of low-key dad hats. You can peep them at thisisyourmagic.com backslash shop. Okay, now let's get on with the show. Hey everyone, I'm writing this and recording it right on the new moon. I love a new moon. I think it's my Sagittarius stellium. I love the energies of beginnings, clean slates, fresh starts, starting anew. I am frequently way too lazy to put my energetically skanky crystals outside for a bath in the full moon, but I hardly ever miss a new one. I love setting intentions, making wishes, pulling cards. I have a lot of faith in things growing. I mean, if you look around our planet, all you see are people and creatures and things that all started out small, a seed or thought or gesture, and now are real, like full bloom, totally happening. Honoring the new moon and harnessing its vibes really feels like a true and practical thing to do. And this is why I had such high hopes when I learned a bit over eight years ago that my third try at having a baby was going to happen on a new moon. And not just any new moon, the Aquarius new moon. And I'm an Aquarius, it was my new moon. But wait, I'm still not done. That particular new moon on January 30th, 2014 was a super new moon. Being the second new moon in a single month is what made it super. And me, on my third attempt at in vitro fertilization, I needed all the new moons I could get, all the fresh starts, all the times for heightened wish-making and seed planting. And that is literally what happened. A freaking seed was planted in my uterus. An egg fertilized with the sperm of my favorite drag queen. The eggs had been removed from my co-parents' ovaries and doused with the glittery sperm on the same day as San Francisco Pride months earlier. I remember how blessed this whole wild endeavor felt when I realized this, that not only were the eggs, sperm, and uterus, the real holy trinity, totally queer, but any baby born from this batch of eggs would all have pride as their conception date. Realizing that my next pregnancy effort was happening on my very own super new moon gave me that same dazzled feeling as realizing my eventual child's conception date would be gay day. Of course. Of course, of course, of course I would have a baby that began to grow on the day that commemorates the Stonewall Uprising and that would make its home in my uterus on the Aquarian new moon. And so it was. And I think about it whenever I make a wish on the full moon. I'll dwell on it tonight, writing in my little notebook slash grimoire, how once I wished on the new moon for a baby, and now he's fast asleep in the room down the hall. Here's Jake Phoenix. Hi, Jade Phoenix. Thank you so much for being a guest on Your Magic. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here and get to talk with you. So, you know, we're 
we're primarily, if not entirely, a um, like a, a woo, mystical, spiritual podcast. So I like to start asking folks, um, like, what was your spiritual life like as a child? Like, were you raised with any kind of like belief or religion? And, and how was that for you? Yeah. Uh, wow. Diving right in. Yeah. Especially. With, <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah. For me, it was actually rooted in evangelicalism. Oof, um, I'm sorry. No wonder you were like, yeah. whoa, <laughs> okay. Yeah. My father was a pastor of the church I was raised in, but it was like a non-denominational, mostly Filipino church um, here in you know the suburbs of LA. And um, I was raised in that. And I would say, you know, that was my spiritual, you know, religious background. I mean, this, in unpacking all of this, it, it, it was like almost like a cult in a sense. It was basically a really fundamentalist, like, cult, in a sense, right? Like, it wasn't connected to any larger, like, denominations or bigger network of, you know, churches. Um, It was very much the anti-Catholicism, everything else, you know, unless you believed in this, like, very specific born-again evangelical, like, you you were wrong, you were going to hell. And so, it was very much like that. It's like a fundamentalist kind of like the most conservative that you can get, really. When did you start realizing like, oh, wait a second, this this doesn't feel right? I mean, I was in it for a while. I actually got all the way up to college, um, you know, playing my part. Um, I was really involved. I was like a youth leader. Um, I was really drinking the juice, so to speak. Right. Um, so. I, yeah, I was thinking that I was going to go all the way and be like follow in my own father's footsteps and be a part of the church too. Um, And I would say like maybe my second year of college or third year of college is where like I started learning about the world outside of, you know, this little insular, even though I still went to a Christian university, um, it at least broke me out of the very conservative fundamentalism of my religion, of my specific version. And it was like, oh, here's Episcopalians, here's Catholics, here's... And so it was a smaller jump. It was like, okay, now here's a little more liberal Christianity. But when I still look at it now, it's still very conservative. But so that I would say college was a little bit of like the egg, the shell started to break open a little bit of like that insular, like the only worldview I had. Is actually in that school where I met a lot of the Christians that were kind of queer. We were all queer. And we found each other there and we we're like, oh, I don't know if this is the right place for us. And from there, we kind of formed our own community. We did an intentional living community. And so I would say that was when things really started turning. It was like, okay, we found people like us that grew up in the same like evangelical trauma, but we're also learning to navigate and get out of it together. And so getting to find a community of people in a like mind of like, oh, we all grew up in this, but we are also like questioning what this all is and having that support group. So after college, we all moved to L.A. to this intentional community, you know, and there was like 12 of us living in a house, all kind of like, you know, very like just different kind of backgrounds, but mostly grew up in the evangelical church and were like finding our way out. So, wow. And mostly queer. Yeah, mixed queer. I wasn't even, so now this goes back, this is where it intersects with my own story, right? Like I wasn't even out yet. You can only imagine I'm a trans woman now, but like growing up in an evangelical 
world obviously is not going to give room for that to grow. And it wasn't even until I got to college that I had met other queer people. And so I didn't know that like trans was even a thing. I didn't know, I didn't meet anyone. And when I first, I'd say half of the people I moved in with were all lesbians at the time. And they were like my best friends. And suddenly I was like, I felt at home with like all these lesbian women and was just kind of like, what is this? You know, like what is going on? Why does this feel like home? And every time I would actually hit on women in public, I was hitting on lesbian women. And they're like, I don't think you're my type. I'm like, yeah, maybe not yet. (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. I'm so glad you got out. I feel like you're telling me this feels like hearing like a like a near death experience story, you know, like I'm so, I'm so glad that you are out and you have a beautiful queer life now and you're and you're you. My God. Wow. So. So, yeah. How does that impact you spiritually today? Like, do you have a spiritual practice and like what what does that mean to you? I think one of the things that like I see like I got kicked out of my church for was when I started questioning things. My first question was, why is God a man? Right. And I was just kind of like, what, why does God have to be a man? And it was just like, because he is that. And there was no actual answers. And, and so it's just, it's really interesting that like in breaking down the gender of God, I started being able to really understand like being in touch with my own actual gender. Right. And the goddess within. And so I made a movement from that. There was a really strategic movement of like, okay, well, what about, what do we identify as the goddess around here? And as when I started meeting a lot of magical, like indigenous people that like really like were in touch with the moon cycles, really in touch with the divine feminine. And so I made like a really big move that way, right? Because instead of like being grown into like this God as like a patriarchal man up in the sky, like it was like, no, like God is actually feminine nurturing here on the earth with us things that we can see that we can interact with that we can feel in our bodies and so i made a really hard turn towards like okay well what does it mean to be in touch with the moon and to be in touch with the cycles of the moon and then i started doing like new moon ceremonies and you know full moon ceremonies and this was before i even transitioned and i remember one of my dear friends who introduced me into this practice was having a party that was like only women. And she's like, and this before, again, I said, before I even transitioned, she's like, well, you should be there. And like, she invited me still and just felt like I should be there. Like before I even clocked my own transition, you know? And I remember that being one of the same, and this person also went to the school I went to, right? Also was part of the evangelical, but they broke out in this specific way and kind of like showed me. And so that was a big shift in how I feel like this like shifting of God as man and also in part to like my own gender identity are very similar. What sign are you? Um, I'm a Scorpio. So Scorpio rising, Scorpio sun, Scorpio moon, what? Venus, Mercury, and Jupiter. Yeah. No, are you very serious? That's so intense. Oh my God. It's the Phoenix. It's essentially the Phoenix. Hell yeah. I mean, my gosh, like your, your mandate that you must like transform <laughs> is, yeah. is like and real coming in hard. <laughs> I just have no option. It's just like, this is your work is to transform. Yeah. How did you come into your writing? Like, how did you let that part of yourself in? 
it's very much rooted in my trauma I'm discovering. My biggest trauma is like losing my grandfather, who I consider my my father was the one that raised me. I had, you know, basically my both my parents were immigrants. They came here, both had to work. So grandparents came. Grand my grandpa was my father essentially. Um so I lost him when I was eight. I watched, you know, I was the one that had to call 911, um, saw him pass. And so that was like the big break with the wound, right? And that's kind of like the origin story of like the rest of everything that to this point is my life. Um, my, growing up in an evangelical home, my parents had no, all they could say was like, Lola's in heaven now, right? Like this is like, and just get over it. Um, and they clearly knew that something was wrong with me, but they weren't able to have any ways of like relating or give me tools. You know, 20 years later, when I start unpacking that trauma in that same group that I was with, I start asking my parents about things. I'm asking my mom, how was I? What happened to me? And she told me that they gave me the tool to write letters to my grandfather as if, you know, like he was there. And she handed me these letters that I wrote when I was nine that I have no recollection of writing. And she gave them to me. And I was just like, I don't remember writing these at all. I was clearly like in my shock. Um, and so reading them, just like this flood of, you know, like, whoa, what is this? And then realizing that like writing has always been like a healing tool for me. This is always how, be, since this was what I was just kind of like given at that moment. I went with it and I think it's kind of stuck with me because, you know, like I was like 19, I got my heart broken with my like high school love and started writing really shitty poetry. <laughs> and so it's like, I started seeing a theme. Right. And then I got really in, into the spoken word um, scene here in LA. And that was like the first time I started feeling church in a different way. You know, people talking about their stories from like oppressed place, you know, stories or people talking about, you know, their trauma and people, you know, going on stage to like speak their truth in a way that maybe they wouldn't have been listened to in other places. And that just really drew me in. And I was like, let me write a poem and let me perform. And what I love about, here's how it relates back to me growing up in the church, was I was very public in my church. So like I told you earlier, I was like a youth leader, right? So I was always up there. I was performing, I was speaking. And that made me really comfortable on stage. That gave me a really good like stage persona, charisma, learning how to like work a crowd. You know, like I was doing that from like a young age. Granted, it was in the evangelical Christian world when I broke out. Now I'm going on stages, I'm performing pieces, I'm telling my truth. And I'm like, wow, this isn't very different than what my dad does. You know, like he does it in a Christian religious, you know, like environment, but like, I'm making a living by getting on a stage and like speaking, you know, and it's just kind of a weird like full circle of how I relate to that. Like I was raised for this in a way, but I flipped it in a way that makes sense to who I am. For me, like speaking it out and people bearing witness, like there is an act of actual healing in that process. And then I found that and continuously find that. And that's what's like strengthened my journey to this day and is part of my spiritual practice. And that's community healing. So I have no doubt that you've had people come up to you after your performances and being like, oh, my God, thank you. Right. Because like you said, something, something about like, your experience mirrored theirs and they're healed from listening uh -huh. to you. Oh, I love it. And and that fits in with what I think my magic is. Right. Like I think of my magic power as vulnerability. I think of like 
losing my grandpa, seeing him die, like that was an ultimate act of vulnerability on my part to like the way I envisioned it was like, I was like left out in like ocean of grief, like with no one to guide me. And I got, was just like stuck in this like ocean of grief. And that's like so vulnerable for a child to be in that space. Right. And for me to find my way back to shore, like, that's just kind of like, look, this being vulnerable, like it will hurt, but it will not destroy you. You know, in actuality, it will be your healing. And so what I'm able to do with my poetry is, you know, tell stories that make you feel like you feel my vulnerability. That's why when people cry, when they watch my film or they, you know, they listen to a poem, like that's my ultimate, like I'm doing my job. It's like the fact that you were able to feel that and it resonates with you enough that it like moves you to tears um is something that is really like tells a lot about like the work I'm doing yeah yeah it's a huge tribute to you to be able to move somebody that that strongly to tears yeah Yeah. it's like better than applause (laughs) (laughs) how'd you find your way towards you know motherhood did you always want to have a child I always yeah I never felt like I didn't it wasn't clear to me that I didn't want children you know some people are like I don't want kids I'm good. And they have that really sense of like understanding about themselves. And I never had that. Um, I also wasn't actively like seeking to have have kids, but I met someone, you know, and like we just kind of like we're at a place where it was like, we're not going to stop it. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, And that was just kind of like the attitude I had within, you know, like a year of us just like feeling that way. She got pregnant Um, and actually she was conceived on a mushroom trip. We were like <laughs> tripping on mushrooms. And that's when we like had Eliza, like when we conceived Eliza, like, and it's so clear in both of our minds, like something different happened when, when this happened, this moment, like something happened. And so, you know, two weeks later, she's like, I'm pregnant. I'm like, I know exactly when that happened. Wow. Like there's no doubt in my mind. Wow. Um, how old, yeah. how old is your daughter? So she's 10 now. Are you going to tell her someday she was conceived during a mushroom trip? Yeah, I think we will. I mean, (laughs) we haven't already. I'm about to say, like, if she doesn't already know, I don't know. I don't. What do ten year olds know? Mine's not that old yet, but yeah. (laughs) So we we kind of think of her as like a forever mushroom trip. Like it just like continues on. (laughs) Kids are psychedelic, right? They are like natural, plant based, (laughs) psychedelic material. They come into the world, and it's like the ultimate psychedelic. Wow. How were you changed by this process? I mean, I know it's a really huge question and you're and we get changed a little bit every day, but I'm thinking especially at the beginning when there's that when the change is the most drastic, like, you know, one minute there was no Eliza and then the next minute there's an Eliza and you're a mother. And so it's like that is such a huge. What was that like for you, especially, you know, was there a sort of spiritual or mystical, you know, element to it? Yeah, 100 percent. So we had a home birth. I got to catch her. She was like born in her birth call still. And so like, that's like another, like that's, she's a magical child. What Um, is that? What is that, um, that folklore about the birth call? Can you explain it? Because I know it's always mentioned in books and I just don't know exactly mm -hmm. what it is. Yeah. So when the past, what sailors would get pieces of a birth call because supposedly you couldn't drown. And it's because a child coming out in the call is like, in this kind of sense, like invulnerable to drowning, right? So that's why sailors would always have. And so we actually kept it and I have my own little like piece of hers that's like, 
you know, like my own little magic, like totem. And um, yeah, so that's the folklore behind that. That's so cool. Yeah. But to get back to the previous, I think it definitely changed in a lot of ways. But what was clear to me and the theme of what we were talking about before this, you know, like it was just another moment of like the Phoenix rebirth. Right. And it was a very clear like, ooh, okay. I was fine living my like, you know, kind of reckless, like I'm the only one that has to pay for the like consequences of my choices kind of life. And it wasn't like a harmful reckless. It was just like, okay, whatever I do is like, it's just going to affect me. I'll deal with it. And it was, that was kind of the way I like went through the world at that young, you know, I was like, I mean, I was 30 when we had her. So in my twenties, I was just kind of like, I don't care about anyone else. I'm going to do it. And if the consequences come, I'll deal with them. This moment was like, oh, you can't do that anymore. Like, you have a child that's relying on you. So like you, you know, whatever you do, there's consequences for your child too. And that got me like really serious about things. It was also in that space where um, my co-parent and I, maybe a year later, um, we split up and it was just, um, you know, a lot of different things, but ultimately another moment, right? Like I feel like every time I've had these deep breaks of like trauma, like losing my grandpa, losing my loves, that it's an opportunity for me this is where like, oh, I burn it all down and then something new has to come. And it was in that space when like my co-parent broke up with me in the past, I would have just burned it down and like burned the bridge. But this time I couldn't do that because this was like we had a child together and I actually had to go through a healing process instead of just running away from it. And so in healing myself, because it was like, I can't just like burn the bridge on this relationship. I've got to find a way to still have this, I was able to find a new part of, you know, what burning things down mean and a new way of what building myself up means. And in that, so in getting to apply that was when my transition happened. Literally, like I would say like one year after Eliza was born was like the start of my transition that I was like very actively, clearly like, oh, I am a woman. Here we go. You know? Wow. So, Yeah. That's so and then, cool. Then that's a natural path into motherhood. Yeah. Right? It's like, oh, I am also a mother. Mm-hmm. Like, this makes so much sense. Wow. Oh, man. You know, I ended up splitting with my, uh, co- my co-parent as well. And I remember... I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but it was a couple of years ago. But at first I was like, oh, my God, like my baby's going to be away from me half the time. It felt really heartbreaking. But now, two years later, I'm like, this fucking rules. How do people have their kids with them all the time? Like, what do they do? How do they live? Like, I don't know how you feel about it. (laughs) Yeah, I've been on both sides of it, actually. So early on, we split, we lived apart and I was living up the like. Yeah, I love like having like three and a half. We basically did like half the week, three and a half. And it was just this like really easy transition. Um, And then when the pandemic hit, we moved in together again as like a big family. And a big part of it is like we never like once I was able to do some healing and she was able to do some healing, we ended up becoming like best friends, essentially. So there's no like animosity between us. We actually consider each other like sister wives, you know. Like, we are still each other's family. And so we, like, moved in together. And so I do have my child with me all the time, but we still do, like, really clear split. Like, it's not my day to, like, have to watch her. And so there could be days where it's, like, I barely even see her when I'm, we're, we're, like, at home. And I get to just see her in the morning, say hi, and then 
kind of do our own thing. So you guys are all still when... living together now? And like, that's the plan now? Yeah. <sighs> oh my... For now. I mean, we'll see. It might change again. And we're like, cool with that. You mm-hmm. know, like if our needs change. But for now, this kind of works. You know, part of it is like, we, you know, we'd love to like own a house somewhere and build like our own kind of like the dream is that we could buy some land and then build our own little tiny houses and have some farm at like animals and stuff. And, you know, that would be like the big dream. And so we're still very invested in like building together long term because we are family, you know, so. That is so incredible. It's like it's like archetypal or something. It's like such a huge it's really it's really beautiful. What a great story. I love that you guys were able to to do that and come back together in such a profound way. Yeah. Yeah. It's and it's it was so much about like it was because we were mothers, you know, like this is for our child. Like it made no sense for us to have a hard relationship because that was going to clearly affect Eliza. And so the best thing we can do for Eliza is for our relationship to be as healthy as possible. That's, there's no question around it as healthy. If we have a healthy relationship, that's going to like, that's going to rub off on our own daughter. And so we were just both invested in that. And we both had a lot of learning to do, you know, like she's a white woman that wasn't able to see that she's raising a Brown child. And I had to really check her on a lot of things. Like, look, your daughter is going to be read in the world as like a person of color. And you have to understand, like, the way you saw the world isn't going to be the same for her. And she had to, like, make a lot of changes and learn and take a back seat to learning. And then when I transitioned, she was, like, totally, there was, she was, like, supportive and was, like, understanding. And so, yeah, I think that that was just, this is the world that we, the best type of world we can give to our daughter. And so motherhood became our priority and our relationship had to, like, grow with that. Are there any like I don't know like mother goddessy archetypes that speak to you? Do you do you, do you find that they they are resonant or do you feel like you can't connect to them or? Yeah, there's definitely like I I see a lot of like the old maid like I think of like a matriarch like a, like my grandmother is like my ultimate like mo- like you know like motherhood like my grandma right she was like the matriarch as we grew older she had you know, 18 grandchildren, like, she got to see, like, seven great-grandchildren. She was, like, in my daughter's life for, like, five years. So, yeah, like, that is, like, and she lived to 94, you know, like, and was, like, you know, really strong all the way up until, like, the last two years. It was still, like, cooking food and still, like, gardening. And so, you know, like, to me, like, my, my Lola, my grandmother is that. And so I love, like, the old maid, like, in her, like, wise years, you know, like, just, like, very, like, nurturing and has given her life, you know, like, to the people that she loves. And so, like, her passing and all the grandchildren telling her stories of her, like, her love, like, exists inside of us, like, 100%, and that, like, still moves off into the world. So, you know, I think of myself as like, I don't know if my daughter will ever have kids, but like, I think of myself as like the grandma, you know, like the old maid, like, just like live wise and, you know, like wise beyond, you know, like just knows the world and has seen it. And just like, and so I love that vision of myself at some point. And also, you know, trying to stay young. I'm like just turning 40 this year. So um, they're still, you know, trying to like, but I'm also learning my body is asking a lot of me in a lot of new ways. And so I feel like there actually is a shift happening that I have to be very mindful of because my body's asking me, like, you can't just treat it the way you have. 
you know, up until this point, you actually have to change things. That's our episode. I hope we've inspired you to take the new moon seriously, or at the very least, to let yourself off the hook for hauling your crystals under that full moon each month. Until next time. Thanks for tuning into Your Magic. You can support us, plus get access to a whole bunch of bonus content at patreon.com backslash thisisyourmagic. Thank you to those who support us. Every dollar makes this work possible. You can also support us by buying one of our air, earth, water, or fire sign t-shirts or logo hats. Go to thisisyourmagic.com backslash shop to see all our merch. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at thisisyourmagic and subscribe to our newsletter at thisisyourmagic.com. Join us on Discord at the link in the show notes. You can rate us and subscribe right here on Spotify. Do what you need to do to never miss an episode. You can email us at hello at thisisyourmagic.com. We would love to hear from you. Your Magic is Ben Cooley, me, Michelle T, Molly Elizalde, Tony Gannon, Vera Blossom, and our production intern, Kirsten Osai-Bonsu. And our original theme music is by John Kimbrough. Thanks for listening.